0: As we head toward Memorial Day, Nickerson Excavation and Construction asks everyone to stop and remember the sacrifices made by our military veterans in defense of our nation's liberty. Serving the new Limerick area for over 50 years, Nickerson Excavation and Construction is your one-stop shop for all your excavation, drainage, and road construction needs, offering good old family-friendly service. For an estimate or bid, please call Nickerson Excavation at 207-532-9391. That's 207-532-9391. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
1: And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I am Kevin Randall. I will be joined In just a moment by Stan Gordon, we are going to revisit the Kecksburg case from his perspective, which I guess would be a different perspective. Uh, Before we got into that, I wanted to mention I just happened to look on Amazon a few moments ago, and I saw that uh, UFOs in the Deep State is at number 99 on a couple of the lists there. And I think we should work hard and try to get it up to, oh, I don't know, nine or 10, just, just for fun. Uh, but I mentioned that book simply because it's become more relevant in the political, political atmosphere we find ourselves in today. And I look at it from a very narrow point of view, which is the relationship of the deep state to UFOs. But I think it expands more broadly when we look at all the things going on, not only in this country, but around the world. But I think it gives you an idea of how that operates and why we today are still arguing about the reality of UFOs and why the government persists in its cover-up. And I mentioned this because John Greenwald had just posted something suggesting that the Navy is classifying the reports of the UFOs, they want to call them UAPs, that uh, made up the report that went to Congress and that sort of thing, they're, they're classifying those reports now. And I think this is just another step in the um, plan to keep the UFO situation where it has been for the last 75 years, where we aren't really told anything about what's going on. We have to kind of search it out for ourselves. And then we have all these other people throwing mud at the wall because they know we cannot possibly be wrong and there's no alien visitation. Ergo, anything we say must be inaccurate. I just mentioned this because... Um, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know why the book uh, UFOs in the Deep States has suddenly popped up as high as it is on some of those lists. I'm delighted it's there. And I hope we can uh, grow from, from that point of view. As I said, I'm going to talk to Stan Gordon and a bit of um, preliminaries here. A couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, I had on Bob Young, Robert Young, who is A skeptic who believes that the Kecksburg UFO crash has been solved by um, more mundane objects and that sort of thing. And I thought it only fair to bring Stan on to talk about his point of view and what his research has done. Uh, Stan, of course, began his investigation almost at the time the thing fell in in the Kecksburg area. I will note that uh, Stan Gordon began his interest in the UFO subject other than strange incidents at the age of 10 in 1959. In the late 1960s, he acted as a telephone UFO sighting report investigations coordinator for the UFO Research Institute of Pittsburgh. Stan began in the field investigations of UFOs and other mysterious events in 1965 and is a primary investigator of the December 9th, 1965 UFO crash recovery incident that occurred near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. And I Would not dispute that at all. He's got to be the number one guy. Um, In 1969, Stan established a UFO hotline for public to report UFO sightings to him to investigate. In 1970, he founded the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group, the first three volunteer research groups which he would establish to investigate UFO sightings and other strange occurrences reported in Pennsylvania. And I will venture to say there's a lot of strange stuff going on in Pennsylvania, but that's not what we're here for. Since November of 1993, he continues to investigate and document strange incidents from, a, from the Keystone State, which of course is Pennsylvania, for those of you that don't know um, nicknames of states, as an independent researcher. He is a former Pennsylvania State Director for the Mufin, Muf, <laughs> Mutual UFO Network, got that uh, mutual confused with MUFON, Uh, and was the first recipient of the 1987 MUFON Meritorious (laughs) Achievement of a UFO Investigator Award. I don't know why I can't uh, say these words today. Of course, I guess it's something that I've been afflicted with forever. I don't know. Uh, He has been involved with the investigation of thousands of mysterious encounters from across Pennsylvania. He has appeared on numerous local and network TV news and documentary shows. Since the late 1960s, he has been lecturing to the public on UFOs, both locally and nationally for various groups and conferences. Some of the topics include the synopsis of the Keksberg case, UFOs and Bigfoot incidents, mysterious creatures and encounters. And his book is Kecksburg, The Untold Story. Stan Gordon, welcome to A Different Perspective.
0: Uh, Hi, Kevin. It's great to uh, be talking to you again. Uh, By the way, that was actually a documentary film, a DVD. It's out uh, on Kecksburg, the title you just mentioned.
1: Oh, I thought it was about... You didn't make it clear when you sent it to me. I thought it was a book. Okay, it's a DVD. His DVD is Kecksburg, The Untold's Day. We still do DVDs in this day and age.
0: (laughs) We're still doing them.
1: Okay. Um, I think that the first thing we need to do to help our, our audience is... Give me a very brief description of what happened on July 9th, 1965.
0: Uh, okay, it's December 1965. I was 16 years old, and um, I was tuned in to KDK Radio in Pittsburgh. And this is um, the show that uh, Robert uh, had discussed with you that he had referred to, where um, he had a guest on, would happened to be Frank Edwards, the host of the show. So I was tuned in to listen to him. And, uh, surprisingly, that that segment of the show was basically covering the breaking news story of this brilliant fireball that that had been seen from the tip of Ontario, Canada, over Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And, um, anyhow, it's quite an interesting story. Uh, They were interviewing witnesses who had seen the fireball, and they were reading the Newswire stories that were just raking across the Newswire about the incident, but um, Robert, uh, when he talked to you, he had stated that the fireball occurred during the time that Frank Edwards appeared on the show. Well, that is incorrect. The radio show was an evening program, I believe it was on from 6 to 9 p.m. The fireball had occurred at 4.47 p.m. that afternoon, and as the host of this uh, show mentioned, and he sent me a large statement that the station had many, many reports coming in prior to the air being uh, show being aired, and um, I think that's something that's kind of important too, because as you were discussing and at the time with him, um, that Robert had indicated that um, that show may have influenced a lot of people about the Kecksburg case, but I think what's really important is that it was during that time period when the show was on the air when a lot of activity was taking place around Keksberg after the object had fallen. So there were hundreds of people who were arriving in the area to see what was going on, including news reporters. There were firemen, the state police were involved in various activities, and the military was arriving in the town and in the areas where the object fell.
1: So well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question here because so I want to make sure I got this straight. What you're saying is that the interview with Frank Edwards, Edwards, took place after the uh, fireball was seen.
0: That is correct. The the show was an evening show. The fireball had occurred around 4:47 p.m. and actually the sighting of that object was confirmed by the control tower at the Greater Pittsburgh Airport at 4:47 p.m. That show, uh, I believe, aired from 6 to 9 p.m. in the evening, so it did not occur during the time that Frank Edwards appeared on the show. They were getting calls from people who had seen the fireball, but then a lot of the important activity out at the scene, out around the Kexberg area, was taking place that evening as different things were occurring.
1: But it's almost like it was simultaneous. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, that the, the the fireball was seen prior to the show airing, but it, the, the time frame was not all that long and i can see where people would have been listening to the show and hear some of this other stuff would become very interesting what had been seen at kexburg
0: right but again there was so much we didn't know at that time that we didn't know at that time and for long after after so many people we tracked and interviewed about what kind of activity was taking place around the kexburg area this object did not come right over top of kexburg was on the outskirts of the of the small community And uh but there was so many people involved. You know, a lot of those witnesses uh back at that time they came from all walks of life. Some were military veterans, police officers, news reporters, and other ones were youngsters and teenagers who later grew up to hold responsible positions, such as teachers and engineers. In fact, one witness who had hidden down, hid down the woods that night later became a district attorney in another region of the state. So these are all credible people who had no reason to make up the story, and many of them, for various reasons, did not want to go public.
1: Well, I think what what you're saying is this information was collected... Not that night, but collected in during your investigation over months and years later.
0: That is correct. Because, you know, as I talked to people who were involved in this, you know, the the next day the the stories are out in the news that the government said that nothing had fallen from the sky and they saw a bright meteor. Well many of those witnesses knew what they saw was not what the government was saying, so they just kept their mouth shut. They told some friends and neighbors and people close to them, but they didn't go public and talk about it. and And I can tell you, there's people I know they're out there today, there are some that are still living, that still refuse to talk about what happened for whatever reason.
1: But I think what we're what we're going here is that um, you've got the, the uh, well I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I'm fumbling for the words, obviously is that we don't you haven't said anything about what happened in the woods i mean we've got the fireball seen by the people we've got the the news media talking about it but what happened in the woods was there something found in the woods was it was it found that night was it carried away that night were there witnesses that are there photographs of it that sort of thing
0: and, and all of that is exactly what uh, was taking place so let let me just try to tell you a little bit um about some of that. I think Robert brought up that there were two different um, searches that night and, um, and actually there was um, a lot more going on. Let, let me tell you about some of the things that happened during, during the evening. First of all, this object observed by not just two children, I think Robert had brought up that there were two children and um, that they were outside playing at the time and um, that they um, saw the object fall and they went home and told her mother and she looked out. And I, I believe he said that she said that uh, what she saw was a, um, a, a smoke train in the sky lasted a half an hour.
1: Is this, she- is, this, is this Mrs. Kalp? Yes. And uh- her house was down right near the woods.
0: Well, and off the opposite side of the woods from where it fell. So what really happened was it was actually the brother and sister, young brother and sister, riding their bikes. Only the brother saw it. She did not. And they hurried home and told their mother. The woman looked outside towards where the object had fallen and observed a vertical column of bluish-gray smoke rising up from the woods above the trees, which other people also reported, but it dissipated very quickly. She did not see a smoke train in the sky. And she did call WHJB and talk with John Murphy, who was a news director. So he took all her information down, then called the state police in Greensburg, and he headed to Kexburg. And I interviewed that witness in person, and she drew sketches of, for me of what she had seen. And uh, so that was interesting. But here's about actually what some of the searches and what happened that light. So you have numerous local people, not just children, all through the area that saw the object coming in. In some cases, it passed very low over top of their heads. Then witnesses actually saw that object go down into the woods, and within minutes after it fell, you had some local people went down into the woods, and that's when they came across this large metallic acorn-shaped object semi buried in the ground.
1: So okay, thing let, me, is, let me stop you there, because I have to take a break. Can't help it. have to do that. Uh, When we come back, we'll get some more detail about exactly how this worked out and some of the, uh, I guess, into some of the minutiae about what's going on. Uh, I'm talking with Stan Gordon, of course, about the Kecksburg UFO uh, crash retrieval story that he's been investigating almost since the time it fell. Uh, I should also point out that you can get uh, some information about that in my book, Crash When UFOs Fall from the Sky, and Stan Gordon helped me uh, put that together. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. I am here with Stan Gordon. We're talking about the Kecksburg UFO crash retrieval that he's investigated since it happened. Uh, the DVD is Kecksburg, The Untold Story, if you're interested in getting more detail on that. Uh, I believe you can get it at Amazon and the like. When we went away, Stan, uh, yeah, Stan, we were talking about um, people finding something in the woods, a metallic object in the woods. I need to understand the time frame a little bit better. We had the event take place late in the afternoon, four forty five, five o'clock in the evening. When did the people arrive and find the object in the in the woods?
0: Well, the local people saw this object fall and they went down within minutes after they see this object going down into the woods. So you've got local residents down there. One one resident was Bill Bullybush. Bill Bullybush lived in the village of Mammoth not far from Kecksburg. And he was out in his driveway that afternoon under the dash, tuning up his CB radio, when he sees this fireball coming from Norvelt and moving out towards the mountains of Laurelville. So he runs out to the road.
1: Let let me interrupt here, let me me interrupt here. What are the directions? Um, He sees the object moving in what direction? Was it going north to south, south to uh, north? What were the directions that he saw it going?
0: Okay, so let me try to explain this. It's a little confusing, but the turns of the object that I know Robert had talked about, he talked about what Ivan Sanderson was discussing. The turns that I find very intriguing is what occurred within miles in the area and before the object fell. So this object basically is coming from the greater Pittsburgh area, so it's moving um, basically southeast, into Westmoreland County, over city of Greensburg. But it makes a turn to the south, out by Route 30 east degrees, it makes a turn to the south. And it's seen by numerous people in these small communities. And it goes from, say, Marguerite, down to uh, Norvell, it's seen from Mammoth, and it goes out the mountains of Laurelville. So Bill runs out to the road, and he sees this object over the mountains of Laurelville, which is about three and a half miles away, he said it looked kind of like it hesitated. Then it turned and began to track back to roughly towards the northeast, towards the outskirts of Kecksburg, not right over the town. And, and you have people all along that path that see it going down and going back, and then it turns down again and falls down into the woods. And the, those people who saw the object drop from the sky said it did not come down at a higher rate of speed. It came down almost like it was making a controlled landing. But nobody reported parachutes at the site or on the ground. And so within minutes after the locals see it fall, they go down into the woods. They come across this large metallic acorn-shaped object semi-buried in the ground. It's about 10 to 12 feet in length, approximately 8 to 10 feet in diameter. It's one solid piece of metal, kind of an off-gold bronze color. And on the raised-up back part of like you'd have on an acorn, um, some witnesses said, and, and one of them I'm sure we'll talk about was Jim Romansky, who was a volunteer fireman at that time, and he was standing only a few feet away from it, and he said that it was these were raised up off the surface, and they looked more like some type of symbols than writing. And anyhow, he's, his description, because he was a machinist most of his life, he said, It looked like somebody took liquid metal and poured into an acorn-shaped mold. There's no weld marks, no seams, no rib marks, no compartments, no external apparatus, no antenna, nothing like that. It's one solid piece of metal. And um, so people saw that. And Bill Bullybush, I think I mentioned his name earlier, he was near Mammoth. And he, again, he went out and he saw the object kind of hesitate make a turn, begin to track back towards roughly the Kecksburg area. So he jumps into his vehicle and goes to the highest point. So that was called Coons Lane back at the time. It, it was now nicknamed Meteor Road because of the event. And that was that long, narrow, winding road that parallels along that large wooded area where the object had fallen that evening. And he knew the area well because he hunted down there. And it's almost dark. And he sees like blue... Arc and he said, like kids playing with sparklers down in the woods. So he grabs his flashlight and he goes down through the fields all over the other side of the woods and um, he sees this object down there. So different people saw this type of thing in the woods. And Again, what's so interesting, and again, we're just doing briefly different parts of the story. There there are so many people involved, so many major major, uh, interviews and testimonies from very credible people who went into great detail. And many people's lives were affected by what happened that night. And so many people over the years were hoping that the government would someday come forward because a lot of these people faced a lot of ridicule.
1: Well, let me ask you a question. How soon did the authorities arrive?
0: Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, over the years, different people told me that they believed that within a relatively short time, uh, within an hour, they began to see at least a, a small amount of military vehicles, like maybe a military jeep, riding around the area. But over, it was over a period of several hours during the evening that a lot of the military began to show up. They came in from different directions, and uh, lots of people saw them. And, and have, have, you
1: of, have you identified any of these military people
0: um, I have identified one I, and I can't say who it was I'm not using names but I have but I've interviewed many many sources um, and I, I did interview one in particular who was uh, a part of the security team that guarded the object, when it came in during the early morning of December 10th, 1965, on a military flatbed tractor trail that many people saw Kecksburg. As the object was leaving, and went out around 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was observed leaving the area. It was, a tar- it was tarped over top of the object. And um, it got there during the early morning hours of December 10th. And uh, this fellow, in the great detail, uh, another independent military source confirmed his story as well. And uh, and others confirmed the fact that it went to Lockbourne. It stayed there for a short time under heavy security, then continued on to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And interestingly, in 1990, a reporter for the Greensboro Tribune Review, which is a large newspaper, had the opportunity to interview that man. He did not want to use his name or go public, but she, this person, the reporter, had the option to uh, interview him uh, the look at his um, information, he was able to uh, show, and uh, it made the, the front page. It was a front page story in nineteen ninety in Tribune Review. There,
1: well, there how did was, you find this guy?
0: I can't remember if it was something that over a period of time, and he came to me confidentially, which I think he did. You know, there, there. Was, I interviewed hundreds of people. I've lost track how many hundreds of people I tracked down and interviewed over the years. You know, right after this happened, I'm sixteen years old when this happened, and there was very few names in the paper, and I'm I'm starting with the next day or two to try to get information, but there was not a lot. But I did begin to get some reports from people uh, that knew about some of the incidents that happened out there at the time, but over a period of weeks and months and years, I began to, on occasion, hear from a witness. I would get uh, people, uh, neighbors, friends, relatives of people involved. I would get anonymous tips. And by 19, the 1980s, I, w- I had a lot of new information that suggested something did indeed fall near Kecksburg in 1965. So I really began to intensify the investigation. And, um, and I know Robert had brought up uh, a lot of different things. And I know he had brought up about um, one of the witnesses, um, and he would have been uh, Jim Romansky. And so Robert brought up the fact that um, there were some UFO researchers that had a UFO display at a mall in Greensburg in the 1980s. Well, that was my group. We are holding a very large public uh, display of UFO information for the public in August of 1987 at the Westmoreland Mall. And Robert went on to say that there was a picture drawing of of the Soviet Cosmos 96 that we talked about, and that Jim happened to walk by and he said, I saw it. Well, that's a, not exactly what happened. And that kind of, i scratched my head because I'm trying to remember that when we had that display at the mall, we had a very small amount of information on Kecksburg at the time. And most of that information was some newspaper stories.
1: Well, let me, and I let had me,
0: everything card. Stan, the car,
1: Stan let, I had me, let, me, let me go back here because we, we moved away from where I wanted to go. And, and I wanted to stay kind of there in the woods for the moment. Uh, because I don't, I don't understand uh, how they got the object. If the if the object is down in the woods and they've moved it out on a flatbed truck, how did they do that?
0: Okay. Well, again, there's a, so much and so many details and so many things that happened during the evening. You know, first you had some of the local residents go down and see the object, but they didn't call and report that finding it at the time. They kept their mouth shut. Then you had so the, later some of the volunteer firemen coming in because they're getting reports of this fire object and some people thought it was an aircraft uh, that may have fell in the area. So the firemen are organizing a search in that large wooded area to go look for this downed aircraft. And then uh, you have the military come in. So there are different things going on during the evening as things are going on. So the locals already find it, but the firemen don't know it's already been found. And then the military comes in. And and I was down the area many times and talked to many people who were involved in this. And what happened was you could not take the trucks right down into the woods where the object fell. And what they did, and again, very few people knew about this. Some people had seen among the equipment was there on the scene that night, they had a small crane. And... One of the things that I also found out for years, I've been talk about until I had enough independent information, there was not just one, there were two military flatbed tractor trailers at the scene. And they had to winch it over and then load it on the flatbed truck. And, and John Hayes, who's gone public, I interviewed his mother years ago. That was the family that. Uh, Robert indicated he didn't know anything about it. I think you asked him a question about a family where the military was coming into their home. That was the Hayes family. They were renting a small farmhouse closer to the impact site, and they had a bunch of young children, and they had windows all around the house. So the young John is 10 years old, I believe, at the time, and the kids are all excited because they're seeing on... The farm road, that farm lane coming in, which they called their driveway, they see fire trucks, they see military vehicles, they see soldiers out there, and that evening, they have uh, men uh, in normal uh, clothing, and then they have uh, military people in their home, in small groups, kind of whispering and talking, and apparently using their phone, but reversing the calls, and um, at one point... Young John remembered seeing a large flatbed tractor trailer going down empty, down into the ravine, and later coming out with a tarped object east at the distance away, but it looked to be about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. And, and there it, were some, and there were so many different accounts of people down in the woods. There were many, many people that I interviewed, and uh, let, let me let me read you from an account. Well, before,
1: before you do that, we're going to have to take a break in just a moment. But let me kind of rephrase my, my question here because they don't really understand this. You've got this thing down in the middle of the woods. It's uh, blocked by trees and everything else. It's down in the middle. And they transport it somehow from the impact site to a flatbed truck to truck it out there to Lockbourne Air Force Base. Yes,
0: the, the flatbed truck is at the edge of the field. But they can't take the truck right down, so they have to winch it over to the truck. And then they loaded it with the little crane onto the flatbed truck.
1: Well, I have a couple of questions. First of all, you had newsmen in the area. Did any of this appear in the contemporary newspaper accounts? No,
0: they didn't because, you know, I talked to different reporters who were there, and Bob Gaddy, who is a reporter for the Tribune Review, he wanted to go down into the woods. He believed there was something down there. The authorities up on the hill wouldn't let him go down. And he said, I'm going down. They said, if you do, you'll be arrested. Another fellow, Bill Weaver, had his dad's car that night. He was down there on, over on the dirt lane, which is closer to where the uh, object had fallen. That's where a lot of the military activity was taking place. So many, many of the people who were up on the other hill across the road couldn't see what was going on over at the farm lane. Okay, we'll get,
1: a get, lot we'll, get to, we'll get back to that in just a moment. I've got to take a break. You are listening to A Different Perspective on the x Broadcast Network. I'm here with Stan Gordon. We're talking about Kicksburg, and we will be back right after this, so please stick around. We're talking Kecksburg. Uh, When we went away, I was wondering exactly how the military got the object out of the woods. Um, If there was any contemporary accounts about that in the newspapers, there's reporters on the scene. and even if they weren't allowed to go down into the woods, I would have suspected that they would have talked to the other people standing around out there on the road, watching the events take place, so that they may have had uh, some of that information. And what about this John Murphy guy, uh, who did a special report on this? I think in the weeks that followed, uh, talking to some of those people, do we have any real contemporary accounts of that truck moving out of the area?
0: Uh, we do not. Uh, We had multitudes of accounts from so many different people. And, um, you know, it was in the mid-1980s, as we're getting some more information, we still did not have a witness at that point about seeing an object on the ground, only from other reports that were coming in. And we got more and more information, and my team was searching down uh, through that particular area, and we found what appeared to be a a pattern, uh, a trajectory. But the tops of trees were broken off, trees were knocked down in the same direction. And you know, we started to talk earlier about Jim Romansky. Jim Romansky, again, was um we we first met when he went uh, attended, uh, came across uh, our display at the mall with his family. And one of my associates, another person, was there with our small display in Kecksburg. and he stood there for a few minutes and he listened in and he said, are you talking about that thing that happened in Kecksburg years ago? And they said, yes. And he said, I was a member of the search team that found the object. He was not from Kecksburg. He hadn't been out there since 1965. And later on, he offered to go with us down the, out to that area. We told him absolutely nothing. We told him nothing about the tree damage or the area. And he remembered certain landmarks in that night. And he walked around for quite a long period of time. And as he walked around, he said, you know what, fellas, I think we're right on the spot. And one of my associates and I looked at each other, that was right in the vicinity where we fell from the tree damage that the thing would have fallen. So interestingly, about six months later, young John Hayes, who was the little boy that was in that farmhouse near the impact site, they played in the woods every day. That was their playground. The next morning after seeing all the military activity down in that area was all lit up and the military people around their home, they got early the next morning where they found out that they had some cows there There was a fence. The military had cut their fence to take the vehicles down, so they had to repair that. So they're down in the woods, and he told me, he said, we were down here the day before. The trees and everything were fine, so the next day the trees were knocked down and broken down. While they're down there the next day, they run into a man with some type of equipment. They weren't sure it was a Geiger counter and metal detector, and the man told them, you should get out of here, there's a chance of radiation. And the boys didn't know what radiation meant, so they went home. And again, that's another really important part of the story. There, there's so much here, Kevin. It would take us hours and hours to even get into it. Um,
1: but, but but what you're, you're kind of jumping around in the time frame. It sounded like they were down in the woods the next day after uh, Romansky told you about his story down there. And what you're saying is they were in the woods the next day after the object was removed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So the R- Romansky is not part of the story of the boys going into the woods finding the cut fence.
0: No, that's a separate thing. And again, I am moving around. So Romansky takes us down to this spot where this happened. Six months later, young John Hayes, who was down there the next day and saw the activity night before, he took me to the same exact spot down into the woods, knew nothing about Romansky. This is a very thickly wooded area. This fell down in the ravine. You couldn't possibly see where this thing fell unless you were standing there from any of the surrounding roads or hills. And then... A year later, we get an anonymous tip that this fellow named Bill Bullybush had gotten down into the woods right after it fell. So
1: I contacted wait, him. Wait, wait. wait. The, a year later, this is after Romansky talked to you guys in the mall, but not a year later after the event in in Kecksburg, after the right, thing so fell. In
0: 1987, Romansky takes us down. Then six months later, John Hayes takes me to the same site. And then in 1988 we meet uh, Bill Billy Bush. He takes us down from a completely different vantage point of this large wooded area. We go the whole way down to the other side of the woods. We come to a particular tree, and he said, I stood at this tree, and he points and said, that's where the object was. It was the exact place that they had taken us to, and they had no way of knowing about the other people, and there's no way they could have known unless they were there.
1: But from your, from your, from your descriptions, you tell me two things. One, this is a heavily wooded area, This object fell in the middle of this, I'm saying middle of this, of this wooded area. And yet the military was able to move this thing out of that area from what you say with relative ease.
0: Well, it it took a while. And again, it wasn't that far from the edge of the woods in that particular place when they found it. But they couldn't take the trucks in because of of the trees and, and things like that. They couldn't take the truck right down to the site. So they had to winch it. They had to do some work, and they had to winch it over, and then they used that small crane, apparently, to put it on top of the truck.
1: Yeah, you said that there were a lot of people that showed up on the road after the thing fell.
0: There were two two roads. There was the road that that parallels along the woods, where probably hundreds of people were on a little two-lane road that night, but the object fell way on the other side of the woods, where you you wouldn't have been able to see it in the dark from that distance, and it was by that side of the woods, which was an old dirt farm lane where a lot of the military activity was taking place, and uh, where they apparently the truck came out, uh, and was seen by different people. Jerry Betters is another fellow that went public, among many others. Jerry Betters was a no, well-known jazz musician in the Pittsburgh area. He uh, was renting a farm out around Murraysville, so it was between Pittsburgh and Greensburg, And something had frightened his uh, horses that afternoon. And then he heard on the radio about uh, the object, Vellano Kexberg. So he got some of his friends, and they drove him out to the scene. And these people all were able to describe certain landmarks, certain details. It was on that dirt lane that other people describe. He sees a fire truck. He sees military vehicles. And they look down to the left, down towards the woods in the field where this all was taking place, where many people describe. And he sees... This military flatbed tractor trailer with a big star on it, and here's the object on the trailer. But for whatever reason, at that point, some of the tarp was open or came apart or whatever. And he gets a look at this thing, and it's it's in the distance, but he can see it fairly clearly. And about that time, an Army officer comes out and starts yelling at these young soldiers, get them out of here, get them out of here. They all aim their rifles at them, and the fellow who was driving the car was scared, and they left.
1: Okay, and, I, have, I have two. I have two questions for you. First of all, you're you're gathering all this information later. You weren't there on scene that night. Is that correct?
0: I was not on the scene that night. I wasn't even driving yet.
1: <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we had that clear. So you're gathering the information later. I have nothing. No no problem with that because I gathered an awful lot of Roswell information that long after the event took place.
0: And, and what's really interesting, you know, going back to that uh, 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 KDKA radio show where they're talking about this breaking news story during the evening bill burns who was a well-known news anchor in pittsburgh was breaking in on regular tv broadcasting live that evening with reports that the military had arrived in the kecksburg area to search for an unidentified flying object and that went on a couple times i mean that was a major news story and you had all these reporters on the scene that i interviewed who either interacted with the military or saw the military and there were so many. Uh, here's in front of me is a statement, and this is from a fellow um, that is is a well known um, person in the area. He uh, actually owns. Um, he was a funeral. He's a funeral director, and he went on to great detail. And I believe he did go public, and that talked about how he and his friends, after hearing about the incident, found their way out to Kecksburg, And they go into great detail about the terrain and the fences they have to crawl over and everything. And Dave Newhouse, his name, um, he talks about what happened that night. And I'm not going to read all this to you, but I'll just, this one part's interesting. They're going over the fence, and he said, I don't remember if there was a fence on top of that, but we could see spotlights just over the knob and to the right. We started walking very quietly towards the light when a soldier appeared in front of us with a rifle he yelled halt and he and scared the s out of me at the same time i thought he was going to shoot us from that point i could see a big truck a jeep and a fire truck and something covered by a tent or canvas there were people all over the place i have no idea what was taking place or all the security and the military may be very suspicious i remember sort of walking very fast back to the Nash, the car, is flipping, and slipping in a cow pie give, going down the hill.
1: So he's talking about an armed soldier in this area at that time. Are there and, any contemporary Are there any contemporary reports of the soldiers being armed? If their soldiers were there, were they armed?
0: No, they didn't. They, they did mention Army and Air Force, and they, they did, did, of course, mention state police, and they didn't say, well, the state police are armed. No, they did not. They didn't go into great detail, just the fact that there's Army and Air Force personnel in, involved in it, and there were many local and national news stories that talked about that.
1: But but we don't have any contemporary reports of armed military personnel in there. I know there were at least three guys there from the Air Force because they came out from, Peck, from, uh, from Pittsburgh, uh, from a you know, radar yeah. station there. There
0: was a 662nd radar squadron. And there were three Air Force uh, people involved, and actually they found another person that it was tracked down. I interviewed some people from that unit, and that was a part of the... Um, Oakdale, uh, the Army Support Facility at Oakdale, and, you know, again, the, the government did a really good job of covering their tracks, their paper trail, because there were so many witnesses that observed the military, observed the Army, um... Just to give you an idea again here here's a statement from a, another fellow I interviewed. He had got out in the military three years before he had a, a very important position in the military. He knew the the military quite well in equipment. He was on the scene as things were just developing that evening. And um, he goes into, he said, was familiar with military vehicles, he stated that a large amount of equipment was coming into the site from the road and somewhere down in the field that would lead down to the woods of the crash site. He clearly remembers two large military flatbed trucks, both with large searchlights. He also said there were several military cars, jeeps, and trucks, and the witness stated from where he stood looking down the hollow, they could plainly see bright blue arcing like water sparks. But, and, the point,
1: but the point really is you've got reporters in the area. You've got people running around loose. Are there any newspaper stories from that time, from December 10th, 11th, 12th of 1965, reporting on these activities? You uh, see what well, I'm getting let me, at?
0: Let me tell you this. Uh, again, this is a detail that many people do not know. You know. This is December ninth, nineteen sixty five. We know from many people, including again independent military sources, the object was transported to Lockbourne Air Force Base near Columbus, Ohio, early the next morning, then continued on to Wright Patterson. And the next day in the paper, the official explanation is from the officials that nothing had fallen, it was a bright meteor in the sky. But for years and this is one of the details that I would not publicly talk about until I had enough independent confirmation For years, I had reports that people in the area the next day saw other, not as many like the night before, but they saw men in uh, what they called moon suits or decontamination outfits carrying equipment down. They saw other investigators and people down in the woods. And interestingly, so here's the Pittsburgh Press, one of the major newspapers in the country, December 10th. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but it says, as Friday's paper, it says, meanwhile, scientists. And Army and Air Force officials resumed the search today for a small ring object reported to a fallen in a wooded area, Kecksburg, Westmoreland County. And then even more interesting, because it took me years and years to find this local news story, because nobody could find or obtain it through microfilm at the time. It was the local weekly paper close to the Kecksburg. Kecksburg was in Mount Pleasant Township. So this was the Mount Pleasant Journal. And it says, many questions still unanswered, mystery surrounds areas, fallen object. And again, it's a big story. I'm not going to read it all, but just a couple of details that the immediate Stan, area
1: would... understand. you're going to have yes. to read it after my break.
0: That's fine. Thank you. Gonna
1: have, you're going to have to hang on there. We've got to take a quick break. We're talking with Stan Gordon. We're talking about Kecksburg in 1965 and the possibility of something falling in the woods near that little town. You are listening to A Different Perspective on the Exome Broadcast Network. Please stick around. Is my guest, we are talking about Kexburg. I interrupted him when he was about to uh, provide us with a contemporary newspaper account from a small newspaper that he managed to track down. And you were going to say about that, Stan?
0: Just again, some of the excerpts from it. It says the immediate area where the unidentified object was reported to have fallen was roped off on the possibility that if something had fallen, it may have contained radioactive material. But then it also goes on to say that now we're talking about Friday morning at dawn, searchers resumed their work. By Friday evening, the area had been thoroughly sc- scoured by police, military authorities, scientists with Geiger counters and other volunteers.
1: OK, uh, but I, the thing that's tripping me up here is we have no names of soldiers. We have reports of armed men, armed soldiers. I'm saying soldiers as opposed to police officers because I assume the police officers would be armed. Uh, It bothers me that they would have been, the military would have been out there with weapons. This doesn't seem right to me.
0: And it bothered a lot of the civilians who were out there too. And and there were many of them who talked about this. Uh, One young fellow, and again, a, a lot of this has gone public. And in many cases, people do not want to talk about it publicly for various reasons Their positions. The military sources, I have their names. I know who they are. And, you know, I, I hope you understand that I always have to expect confidentiality, which I've done in thousands of cases, and that's why I can't release it. But I can assure you that I, that I know who these people are. And the reporter for the Tribune Review knows the identity of that military source who is a part of the security team at Lockbourne Air Force Base. And I can tell you, for example... And, and again, there's so many different details. Bob Kowaleski was a retired state police uh, trooper in eastern Pennsylvania at the time it happened, but he was from Greensburg. He happened to come home about two weeks after the incident, and he ran into Carl Metz, the state police fire marshal, who was down at the scene, and... Actually, later in conversation, he actually mentioned to some other police officers that he was there that day in Kecksburg years later, and he saw the object, but he was sworn to secrecy by an army officer, not to talk about some details, and Bob Kowaleski, the trooper, when he met Carl, met Carl, told him, I was sworn to secrecy by an army officer, and I can't talk to you about what happened.
1: Uh, what, what was hanging me up is the idea that these guys were armed. Yeah. And, you under, and, and you and you understand you understand the concept of posse commentatus, which means that active duty forces are not allowed to perform police functions.
0: Well, I can only tell you what many people have told me. Someone public, I have statements from them. I just read you one about. I told you about Jerry Betters were soldiers. He said, "Aim weapons at the rifles at them." I gave you also another statement uh, from another very credible source, the funeral director who told me that a soldier aimed a rifle at him and he thought he was, was going to get shot. There were other people in the town who saw soldiers walking around with helmets, had sidearms and rifles. And there were many of them. But people, you know, it's 1965. The next day when it's in the paper, the government saying there was nothing there, nothing was going on, they found nothing. People kept their mouth shut. It was a whole different time period. And that's how it was. And again, there are many people... Over the years, I've, I've talked to family members and others who I know were involved in, and they still, years later, we we're going to 56 years next month, and they still won't talk about it. And many have gone to their graves not knowing the truth about what happened. But so many people knew that that's what occurred that night and what the object was, we don't know. And, and by the way, Kevin, you know, if, if you would read over what I've talked about and discussed for years and years, I've never tried to prove that the object that fell was... A, an extraterrestrial spacecraft from another planet. I've always said that that's a possibility that we we need to at least consider. But you know, I always said that um, this could have been a highly advanced man-made space probe with some type of reentry control capability, a secret government or military experiment, but possibly, could it be a spacecraft from another planet? Well, we don't know. And there, there's so much information we didn't have time to even begin to discuss. But There was no doubt the object made turns within miles before it fell. Witnesses who saw it come over very low said it was moving no faster than the speed of a small aircraft on approach to an airport. Uh, Some heard a hissing sound. And um, it's, it's just an amazing case. Regardless of what the object was, there's no doubt in my mind and those people who were involved that an object did fall and was recovered by the military. And what that object was... Well, hopefully someday we might know for sure the truth.
1: But what do you say to people like Bob Young, who talk about the smoke train from a meteor being persistent for 30 minutes and that meteoric debris was found, I think, in Quebec, Canada, uh, 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 that seemed to be related to this?
0: Well, again, that's one area of the case that's really intriguing because we don't have a, a detailed explanation for it. But I, I can tell you, you know, That meteor report uh, that occurred at 4.43 p.m. over Michigan, it must have been a very slow meteor because the object seen over Pittsburgh was at 4.47 p.m. as confirmed by the control tower at the greater Pittsburgh airport. So was it the same object? Could there have been two separate objects in the sky at the same time? You know, what the object that looked like a meteor in Michigan may be something else. You remember Project Twinkle when they investigated the Green Fireball reports and how many reports we've had over the years of meteor-like objects that perform and do things that normal meteors shouldn't do. So we may never know a part of that. But whatever the object was that came over the greater Pittsburgh area at 4.47 p.m. is the object that fell near Kecksburg.
1: And the information you gathered, you gathered all, all of it, most of it years later, not at the time of the event. And the newspaper accounts seem to suggest it was something mundane. They don't talk about the armed military personnel. They don't talk about the things that, that uh, took place afterwards. And you've said there were a lot of reporters on the scene. I, that kind of boggles my mind that even being at 1965, that the reporters who'd seen something would have reported, this is what I saw while I was there.
0: Well, you've got to remember, you've got to see the way the geography of the land is. There's curbs and hills everywhere. The majority of reporters were up on the hill along the curb of Meteor Road. Most of the military activity and the activity dealing with the recovery was way on the opposite side of the woods, where they couldn't get in, couldn't see it. So there was a lot of things going on, and there were people spread out all over the place. And again... The witnesses I talked to sent me up, they never reported it at the time. They kept their mouths shut because they saw the news the next day that nothing had fallen. It was a meteor in the sky. They knew it wasn't what it was. They shared their stories that I talked to some of those people. And they told some of those people about it, and years later, some of those people confirmed that those witnesses had told them about it at the time. I was hearing some reports within days of the incident from some people about things that happened out there at that time, but the people didn't want to go public. And there was I, I, not a lot of detail in the papers.
1: Stan, 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 I don't have trouble with the people not talking about it. I get that. I understand we can look at any number of UFO cases where there, we found witnesses later, and they said, well, I didn't come forward because... I got that. What I'm concerned about are the reporters who were there, and their job was to report that. And if they had seen the military, if they'd seen something like that, I don't understand why that wouldn't have been reported in the newspapers. Okay, well,
0: I can tell you one other thing. Sean Murphy, the news director of WHJB, and this was confirmed to me by other people at the station, John had gotten the call about the object falling around Kecksburg. He proceeded out to the scene. He got there about an hour earlier before the state police fire marshal. Another investigator went down into the site, and interestingly, he was there when that happened. And he approached the uh, the state police fire marshal and um, asked him uh, what he had found when he was down in the woods that day. And um, initially, he said, um, or not really sure. And then when he pressed him again, he said, you better, get, you better get your information from the Army. But what I started to tell you was, John got there before they arrived. He was, on, and was in radio communication with his wife and with people at the radio station. According to what these people told me was, he told them he, had, he found the object down in the woods. He said there were strange markings on it. He took pictures of it. And I talked to Mabel Mazza, who passed away about two years ago. She was the office manager at WHJB. She told me she saw his black-and-white picture. She said what she could remember was kind of a cone-shaped object lying down under the trees. And they, he never went public with that, for whatever reason. And there's, there's a lot of little anecdotes like this. There's so many of them. We even got into There's so much I probably forgot and I can't even remember now. But there, there were so many details from people... Who don't know each other? Many of them never knew each other, even today. And they gave me the little details. They gave me. They were able to give me landmarks. to indicate they were there. Other people's details were confirming other people's accounts. There are so many people involved, and did, when you did, put the piece of the puzzle together, it's just an amazing account.
1: Didn't didn't John Murphy do a, a radio show called The Object in the Woods?
0: That is correct, and he and he did not mention anything about it. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting story because of what had happened uh, prior to him airing that show, and some of, and the people at the station all gave me a separate uh, confirmation that people worked at the station who were there that day that apparently these government men uh, came into the station and uh, they wanted to talk to John Murphy. Went into one of the studios, and when he came out, they said he was very very shook up and upset, and said they had confiscated. Uh, a lot of the voice interviews that he had done for the radio show coming up. And in the days and weeks to follow, this was his biggest story. He was all excited about it, and suddenly he didn't want to talk about it anymore.
1: But he did air the program, The Object in the Woods, so it was a sanitized version.
0: That is right. It was a sanitized, censored version. There was a lot of beeping along the line of the uh, interview.
1: Okay. Uh, I fear we've just run out of time here. I appreciate you taking time to talk with me. Uh, your website is www.stangordon.info. You're right. That,
0: that's right. Yep. Stangordon.info.
1: And Stan Gordon is one word, all lowercase. And you can take a look at uh, his website. You can gather some more information there. I'll have something up on the uh, on my blog about this as well so that uh, and maybe some links to some of the other stories Stan thank you so much for taking time to uh, chat with us and we maybe have to do this again sometime soon to get I guess the rest of the story
0: all right Kevin thanks very much for having me on the program
1: okay thank you Stan uh, in the coming weeks there's a book out called uh, when Einstein went to Roswell by a dr Peter Strasberg and if you if I had to look back to see the uh the the, uh, title of the book. I'm going to have him on the program next week. We're going to talk about the information that he presents in this book and how he's linked uh, Einstein to the Roswell case. The reason I hesitated there was going to say how he linked uh, Einstein to the Roswell case. I'm not sure the link is really very solid. And we'll get his take on that, and how he came to write this book, and what the evidence is that that Einstein was involved in the recovery, or at least examination of the object that fell in uh, fell in, in New Mexico back in 1947. Where we find some of the same things going on there that uh, Stan talked about, um, some of the military operations there, and the way they kind of suppressed information, which is, I guess, we can. Uh, kind of agree that that does go on periodically, but it's usually a, under the cloak of national security. And I, like I said, I've talked about that in UFOs in the Deep State as well, and how that works, and that they may wrap that mantle of national security on things that really don't deserve it, and that sort of thing. Uh, I also wanted to mention that um, I've got a book, the, the uh, Best of Project Blue Book, which I think will help understand part of this as well, when I've looked at in-depth Blue Book investigations and I could apply information gathered long after Blue Book closed or the investigation ended and apply that to the information that was published at the time and see where uh, the mistakes were made. And I think that anybody who's looked at Project Blue Book understands mistakes were made uh, about how they operated and what they were doing at the time. But I think that gives you an idea of the haphazard nature of the investigation. Sometimes they were very good. Sometimes they did a a great deal of important work and sometimes they just sort of didn't do much of anything else. So we'll have that coming up in the next few weeks on a different perspective. I should point out that there are some other fine programs on the Exome Broadcast Network. So if you have a chance, go to xzbn.net and scroll down the list of programs and you'll find something that's going to be very interesting, I'm sure. I will be back, as I say, in 160. Uh, 164 hours, 165, I've forgotten the number now, Uh, with uh, Dr. Peter Strasberg talking about Roswell. Thanks for listening.